now. Um, RIA Aid is linked up in the nest and it's linked up in the title of the space. It's an excellent charity organization uh, that helps Ukrainians get the stuff they need, the non-lethal aid they need, combat medicine, equipment for their hospitals, things that save lives of Ukrainian civilians and Ukrainian soldiers. So if you want to help, go ahead and help through Maria Aid. Um, let's go to uh, You Like Wendy and then to Spring. Uh, cheers, guys. Um, I, I just wanted to comment on a similar, uh, in a similar vein. Historically, Russia's attitude to POWs uh, has been infamous, and I can't see that changing. Um, and I wouldn't put it past them to to parade POWs on on May the 9th. Um, back in 2014, brave Ukrainian servicemen were sent to the east to do what any other sovereign country would have done, which was liberate territory that was occupied by a foreign power. Um, and the ones who were who were captured um, were paraded in public, were beaten in public, and many of them were executed. Um, I think there's actually a memorial in, I think Odessa currently to to some of these um, some of these warriors. But um, yeah, I wouldn't put it past them. Um, you know, they they've started a war that they that that they've lost. They know they are losing. Um, and it's great to see people working together. I mean, I, I, I haven't been on Twitter for long. I, to be honest, I, after this war, I probably won't be on it um, again. But it's great to see people working together because anyone who has um, people they know in Ukraine right now, um, so I'm sure a few of us do, or have an emotional investment in, in this country, which most people do, um, they, they want to see these Russian bastards beaten. Um, and they will be. So if this parade happens with POWs on May the 9th, it will only strengthen the resolve of Ukraine's allies. We we will only just be strengthened by this. Um, and I'm sure Ukraine will, too. So um, and I'm sure, you know, there's I'm sure there's a few GRU accounts on here. There's some prince from somewhere who's listening in. So, uh, yeah, you know, I hope you do do something from Mariupol some kind of live TV feed from Mariupol on May the 9th, because um, it will give a few Russian people the chance to see something that you might not expect. All right. Thanks for this space. Cheers, guys. Cheers, mate. Uh, well put. I don't have anything to add to that, but you're quite right. I would I would like to add, however, that at least in 1945, we know they had masses, thousands and not tens of thousands of German POWs paraded in, the, in that victory parade. Of course, times were very different. Uh, and if they do it now, it will be taken very differently from how that was taken back in 1945. Uh, Spring, then Old and Christopher. Spring, go ahead. It is uh, very shortly because if it... Um... If it happens that they show them the prisoners of war in in the parade is outrageous. It's one more crime unbelievable from the Russians after what happened in Bosha and in other places of Ukraine. And what time? What more time do we need? To do we still need to wait to see uh, better weapons given to Ukraine? And um, a reminding also for the ones that you were speaking about is to go to Maria Aid and try to help a bit, if not much, at least the price of ordinary coffee in all over the world. I won't say in Portugal because in Portugal the coffee is extremely cheap. It's around 70 cents, but uh, I can buy three or four coffees uh, per day to Maria Aid. So we can keep helping is the only way we can do while we assist to these anguish things from the um, from the the Russian and all the propaganda that they put around uh, and that just brings us anguish, nothing more. Thank you very much, Spring, and uh, welcome, Axel. Nice to have you out with us. We have some German stuff to discuss in a bit. Sure. Good afternoon. What did I? I've been waiting. <laughs> welcome back, my friend. Good afternoon. What did I miss? <laughs> A lot. <laughs> okay. All righty. Well, that happens. Uh, but I had to get some contracts done. So I shall be delighted listening, uh, unless somebody has an update, uh, which is absolutely vital. Um, not really. Uh, shall we clear the hands, go to all you and 
Oyor and then Christopher, and then we can chat about what Zelensky talked about with Steinmeier, etc., etc. All your spaces. Uh, yeah, I was curious about. So I don't know when when this conflict kind of started. I guess 2014. So I, I was in a space that had the other day that had uh, I guess a uh, a pro. I don't know. I don't want to really call it pro-Russian support, but they were, you know, th- their perspective was that, you know, uh, the, the thing that started in the Donbass, you know, um, was the, um, you know, they're the victim of this. Um, uh, I don't know uh, what they want to claim it to be, a genocide, that this this mistreatment, uh, the, the deliberate targeting and killing of, you know, Russian citizenry in eastern Ukraine. And I personally, I mean, I, I think that that's a bit of a narrative, a bit of a pretext. Um, but I was curious as to like, so I don't know. I know the ICC does, does things with war crimes uh, and, and maybe genocide. And there are maybe some other organizations. But was there um, was there an appeal by Russia uh, to you know, ha- have some kind of uh, hearing or investigation into uh, these alleged, um, I don't know, atrocities and aggressions that were purportedly being perpetrated uh, against the, you know, the, the Russian population. Um, I was just, I don't, I mean, personally, like I said, I, I think that that's, that's a pretext uh, just based on where that kind of thing tends to show up and where it doesn't show up. Um, so I was wondering if anybody knew uh, any history to that if they if they tried to make an appeal for an investigation of these kind of things? I don't recall anything like that, Axel. No, but Doman, just go through the uh, the brief history as to why this narrative came up and what kind, uh, what kind of crap it is. Uh, I need to drive. Uh, this is simple to solve. Yeah, absolutely. So... Most of most of what this narrative is, and I mean, all your spaces. I know, I know that you you realize this because of the way that you were you were framing it earlier. This, this all comes out of the domestic Russian propaganda narrative, right? Uh, and there is no actual evidence to to back it up because, well, they've made it up. Of course, there isn't any evidence for a make-believe story that they've launched. Uh, what the Russians have done, and I can tell you this much, is Russians kept putting uh, sort of condemning Nazism um, resolutions in front of the UN every year for a few years now. And this is kind of how they've been trying to build up that, you know, fake case uh, against against Ukraine, uh, at least in part. Uh, but I really don't want to go deeper into Russian propaganda. There's no point. Uh, it's all, we, we all, we know it's all bullshit anyway. Sorry for the, for the expression, but it is what it is. Uh, Christopher, uh, please go ahead. And then Luis, if you still want to speak. Christopher? So I have a question. Historically speaking, did Nazi Germany ever present POWs during its parades out of curiosity? I'm not sure. Uh, Maybe anyone else who might know this. Alex? I don't remember anything like that. Um, Yeah, I don't want to speak too good about them, but they even, uh, if you remember, they never used even chemical weapon. Um, So they... Very evil, but um, um, Alex, we have Craig up, and Craig will know. Uh, I have not seen any evidence that the Nazis really paraded POWs. They tended to just kill them or put them in camps. There was, I mean, there was some, there was some, some more. I think it's not necessarily my exactly my focus in Nazi Germany, but um, there's also there was a bit of political staging with like political prisoners um the guy for example the guy who attempted to assassinate hitler in munich with a bomb was kept in dock not in, uh, in uh, dachau uh to be paraded after their victory of the soviets but obviously that didn't happen and they just killed him um so i don't believe so and i I'm trying to remember my Soviet history. I don't remember if members of the Sixth Army were paraded uh, in Moscow following the victory. I know they did the, they did the banners where the, the Soviets took all the, the Nazi banners from all of the uh, regiments they had destroyed, um, divisions, sorry, they, they had destroyed and captured um, and like threw them in a giant pile. Um, I don't believe Nazi Germany did. Like, I'll, I'll look into it more, but just just off of my knowledge of it, I don't believe they did. I could I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. You're completely correct. Okay, good. But I, I will I will do some digging just to make sure that I'm 100 percent correct. Thank you. 
I was about to say the same as Axel. It was what I have studied from the World War Two. The only thing I remember better it was that the the Soviets were very bad in doing prisoners of war because usually they killed them before that. Yeah, and a lot were used for um, slave labor as well, right? Uh, and and that was probably a more desirable thing than to have them paraded out. I think I do remember some uh, you know small scale. Uh, type things, but yeah. Anyway, uh, Luis, did you have something a bit? The one thing that the Soviets did do really quickly is they did very publicly. Um, oh God, I can't remember the name of the trials. They did they did like a pre Nuremberg type trial before the war was over, um, where they publicly paraded and like kind of show trialed. I mean, the Nazis were guilty, but they very much show trialed um, Nazi war criminals. Uh, in like forty three or forty four, I cannot remember the name of the trials. So there was a bit of yeah. a bit of that, but I can't remember the name of the trials. You are talking about Wait. the Nuremberg trials. That uh, was the time where all war criminals were tried in public and uh, hanged in public. No, 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 no. It was no, the, uh, not, no, he's talking about the trials which were held in Moscow uh, upon the end of the siege of uh, Leningrad and uh, war criminals, as they called them meaning those commanders of uh, German uh, troops which were outside of Leningrad who had been captured. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, yeah, it was, yeah. Okay. It was a that trial. Was another, the other one, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a trial before Nuremberg. It was in like 44 or 43. Which was quite rich, if you think in historic perspective, that one totalitarian regime with exceptional crimes uh, against humanity was trialing the other one. But there you go. Um, so, okay, go ahead, Dom. No, I was going to say Luis. <laughs> Okay. I just wanted to add uh, a few comments on the thing that we talked about, uh, Donbass and uh, the, the Russian propaganda, and if there was or uh, if there is evidence about Nazis uh, killing pro-Russian uh, c- civilians. Um, l- let me let me start saying before the war started or before this tension started um, the war hasn't uh, started uh, at the time i did knew too much about ukraine and what is what was going on i i noticed in 2014 2015 that there is a conflict upcoming but i really didn't knew uh, uh didn't knew a lot about about that and i since 70 days since the war is going on I keep reading every single day uh, a lot about it, and uh, I ordered books to understand um, Russian mentality because I, I had Russian friends, or, or I have Russian friends, and uh, I didn't uh, quite understood why normal Russians would support such a kamikaze operation in, in Russia. And um, there were, uh, or there are, a lot of propaganda since 2010, I think, about Donbass and uh, uh, Crimea, and um, that uh, a lot of pro-Russian uh, people is is being killed. But uh, here in the European other countries, we didn't saw nothing about it, so there is no evidence about that. And of course, there is internally a lot of propaganda. Putin is building up this narrative since years. Um, that's why, uh, I mean, it's not only Putin's war, but it's uh, Russians' war. Not all Russians, of course, but a lot of Russians uh, also in other countries that, that support this. And uh, yeah, um, but uh, as I said, there is no evidence about such uh, occurrences uh, over there. Yeah, cheers, Luis. Uh, Adrian? Adrian? Hey, hello, Domen. Um, yeah, I requested the mic because of this question. I also encountered it uh, recently and many times this. But, you know, they did some, uh, the Ukrainians did something in the Donbass and poor Russians there. Or, um, you know, NATO did this. Someone sent me this statement. Um, a friend of mine today, uh, Lula, gave an interview in time about uh, him coming back in power in Brazil, maybe, and him saying that, uh, you know, NATO is reaping what it, it sowed in Ukraine. And, you know, it's their name. He kind of condemned the war, but it's NATO's responsibility to this, like, wishy-washy, what about, you know. And... Um, 
just an observation, a personal observation from myself. So I'm a pretty much a lefty. I have a lot of lefty friends. I went to protests. Believe me, I'm not a fan of America and I didn't like the Iraq war when it happened, even if I was 17 back then, but I understood it was stupid and I still think it was stupid. I'm sorry for American friends who were there and I apologize if I offended anyone, but that's my opinion. However, since this war started and it progressed and I'm seeing the atrocities and I'm speaking with friends in Ukraine when I say this, I have zero tolerance anymore for people who telling me wishy-washy, what about? So to my personal friends and family who give me this, who I think are intelligent people, I'd say, pardon my French, fuck that, because this is not about NATO intervention. It has its problem. The West is not definitely not perfect, but this is strictly a war between good and evil. The evil is coming from Mr. Putin and his friends. And if you're a rational person and if you look what's happening in Ukraine, um, uh, it's clear what it is and you have to make a choice. And I think the more time will pass and the, uh, as history will show, uh, like in the Second World War, the, the facts will show who was on the side of good and who was on the side of evil. I mean, what the hell do these people want to see? Do they want to see bulldozers pushing bodies like they saw in 1945 when the Americans liberated concentration camps. I don't understand. So personally, I have zero, zero, zero tolerance and more and more anger when I hear these arguments. And I would advise anyone, even if they are on the left also, uh, because that's my area, to act accordingly because you can't tolerate evil and you can't tolerate this infiltration and this propaganda continuously chipping away at our resolve. That was it. Darwin, can I? Yes, uh, Spring, go ahead. Oh, it was about Brazil because um, somehow it was a Portuguese former colony with more than 200 years of independence, but in any way the news arrived here quite quickly. Uh, the Brazilian is completely awkward situation is that uh, we don't have um, uh, the Lula that is left wing is um, is supporting the Putin regime and uh, also the uh, Bolsonaro that is from the right wing is supporting. Putin regime, so we end up not knowing actually what they want, or if it's a way of behaving of Brazil, because we don't understand what is going over there. It's um, we, both of the the areas of the political areas are supporting uh, Russian regime. It's something very weird to understand. Thanks, Spring. Um, yeah, this isn't really a left-right question. Fundamentally, this is a decency question, and uh, some people prefer to be in Kremlin's pocket, I guess. Uh, Francis? Thank you. I also wanted to make a quick comment um, with regard to the supposed Ukrainian malfeasance in, in the Donbass in 2014. And I think this is a, a really important question because, uh, in my view, the Kremlin's policy toward Ukraine in, in 2022 can really only be understood in the context of a continuous arc of Kremlin policy toward Ukraine over the last 100 years. Um, and for every claimed malfeasance visited upon ethnic Russians in the Donbass, in fact, the, the, the historical truth is precisely the opposite. Um, Moscow was responsible for the death of, in the order of 4 million Ukrainians in the 20th century. Uh, Moscow has been consistently, and I repeat consistently, quote unquote, discovering nationalist conspiracies in Kiev over the last 100 years. Um, there's also a claim that that there is um, the Russian language has been uh, penalized or uh, disfavored uh, in Ukraine. The truth there is also precisely the opposite. Um, for large parts of the, the late 19th and, and the 20th century, you know, there was a policy of de-Ukrainization from Moscow where the use of Ukrainian um, publishing in Ukrainian was banned. Um, a lot of Ukrainian cultural institutions were banned. Um, I'd encourage you to look into, for example, the SVU trials um, 
Stalin's one of Stalin's first round of, of infamous show trials uh, that were held in the Haki Opera House and used basically as an instrument to um, to persecute uh, Ukrainian intelligentsia. There's been a consistent policy from Moscow to essentially use persecution to stamp out um, any movement toward an independent Ukrainian nation. The fact is, is that Ukraine has lived in the shadow of a belligerent and bellicose neighbor for hundreds of years. And uh, th there's a book that I would encourage you to look at if you if you really want to understand the, the overarching historical context here. It's called The Gates of Europe. Um, I'm going to jack up the name, but the author is uh, Serhii Plochi, who is a, a professor of Ukrainian That's pretty good, Francis. Harvard. Thank you. Um, and I found that book very, very insightful, really, to understand all the historical context. Um, Another is Anne Applebaum's books are very good. Uh, Red Famine um, would, is really one of the darkest books I've ever read, I have to say, but that provides a, an excellent account of the atrocities of the 20th century. And my, my overarching point is that really the, the present geopolitical ev events can, can only be understood in the larger historical context. And whatever framing that the Kremlin tries to impose upon that context. In fact, the truth is precisely the opposite. Yeah, very much. Um, and and you're right, projection. it's important to understand. The, the Maskarovka and pro projection, that's how it is. And we have to understand this. It's a concept. And this concept has been gripping the West's perception all the time. Yeah, and I, I, what I want to say is, it's important to understand, let's call it cultural differences or co differences in political culture, if you're trying to you know, understand why all of this shit happened, right? Uh, and assumptions that we may make in day-to-day -day life in the West about political culture just do not apply. Um, having said that, let's go on to, and, and thanks, Francis, let's go on to Juliana and then Adrian and then Andre. Yeah, I was going to say in the U.S. it's primarily some fringe on the right who are pro-Putin um, following um, Trump's lead. And I think Trump has backed off a little now, but I think people like Tucker Carlson on Fox News is still, um, you know, doing Putin's talking points to the, to the extent that Kremlin is using his footage from his show, um, you know, to back up its, its talking points internally um, to, to the people of Russia. And what I wanted to know is, is it, you know, what can we do for people like Tucker Carlson, who's a, you know, personality on so-called news, um, you know, is it effective to, to, you know, call him out on Twitter to, should we be calling the news station? You know, what can we do, um, if anything, to counter and push back against that kind of messaging? You have free speech. That's the key. Speech solves everything. You can speak up. Simply, you don't have to necessarily suppress speech. On the contrary, you just have to counter it. Thanks. And uh... and the, the point is, I'm guessing what Axel is trying to say is counter it abundantly so, right? Make it, make it clear with as many voices as possible that what he's saying is unacceptable and wrong. Um, and honestly, any attempts to, you know, shut them down in the way American society works, to my understanding anyway, and I will attempt to speak for Americans, uh, is that it, the, the backlash from, from trying to shut him down directly will be far worse than trying to counter him with, you know, more speech. And, and why would you? You can uh, simply expose uh, the stupidity and illogical uh, underlying uh, and flawed arguments quite easily. Uh, simply stick to the facts, highlight the facts. That works on every fringe, whether it is leftist or rightist or just opp opportunist, as it most likely his case, because obviously he's been shape-shifting through his career uh, and now migrated to one populist niche in the market in which he acts, and he's exploiting that niche for his own purposes. So uh, there you go. That is one niche. He wants to do this. Fair enough. Let him do his own bidding, and by that means serve a certain narrative. But you do not have to follow that. On the contrary, you can just simply highlight, these are the facts from on the ground. I am in this space. I have Ukrainian voices. I have European voices. I have the facts, the data to support my view. And it is completely different from this narrative. Thank you very much. State it. Talk to your friends. Talk to your neighbors. Talk to your colleagues. Creating a 
information awareness works from the ground up. That is our general recommendation. Thank you. Thank you, Axel. Thank you, Kilian. Adrian? Um, yeah, I, I wanted to also add yeah, that Serhi Pro, he's a great historian and Gates of Europe is a good book. And also for anyone uh, who maybe doesn't have time to read a book, but would like to see a film about what the Russian Empire, Soviet Empire, uh, perpetrated on the Ukrainian people, they should see Mr. Jones. It's a film about the Holodomor and also it... Um, it kind of it's heartbreaking. Also, I wanted to say that uh, to Heliana's point, it's not only on the right; it's also on the left. I've been following some like independent left-wing media before, which I agreed with on unions and so on. And I I, I don't want to make it into politics. My point is, from what I see since the war started, these people have definitely disappointed me because they either ignore what's happening or say there are two sides to it. And some of the more extreme ones go to the extent of saying Bucha is bullshit, which literally he said that. I don't want to name him because he's a idiot. And uh, I understand this idea of being a free thinker, being against the mainstream. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the mainstream media, but also this media, this independent media, they're also a product. And, you know, at the end of every video, they ask you, here's my Patreon, give me money. So, you know, you should think about questioning even sources that you agree with on like 80% of the points they made. But when it comes back to what Domen said, a point of human decency, if you're a real human being and you see evil being perpetrated, you have to disagree even with people that might share opinions with you on 80% of the other things, because this is a choice between good and evil again. But I had a question that is, uh, kind of bringing the topic somewhere somewhere else. And I see Alex Kaftelis here and him living in the Soviet space might enlighten me, I hope. So I saw recently this uh, film by Adam Curtis called Hypernormalization. Uh, I really like his films. And um, uh, part of this film is dedicated to the uh, Soviet Union in the 1980s. And he outlines this term hypernormalization where the society knows that the system is broken people regular people know that the system is broken and that those in power know that the people know that the system is broken but everybody pretends like everything is still okay and eventually among other fa factors this denial uh, ultimately uh, brought the, brought uh, forth the collapse of the soviet union so I'm wondering how much of this double think do speakers here think is uh, still going on in Russia now? Because it's essentially the same culture. I, I, I hope my question was clear. Yeah, I think it was clear. I think it's uh, one of fundamental problems. Uh, I don't know. It must be a very long effect of um, of Soviet rules because... We were growing in a system where, you know, um, one thing was preached, the other thing was done. For example, we were talking that uh, communism is the most free, is the freest society possible in the world. And at the same time, we all knew that if you talk too much, you may end up in gulag or whatever... Um, was left of that because of Stalin. Like, there was censorship in the Soviet Union. Like, you could not... I mean, even a joke as a kid in class, you could not make it, uh, jokes, some jokes, because every kid would say, hey, somebody will report you to KGB and your parents will go to prison. Say, if you joke. Like... The first time I heard a joke openly, a joke about Brezhnev, was when the day he died. And uh, it was like, suddenly it was, you know, wow, how free we are. We can now say openly jokes about Brezhnev. It was, people were, you know, only talking about real things in the kitchen to people only whom they trusted. And um, and at the same time, you would uh, see 
on, you know, Communist Party meetings and, and whatnot, any meetings, like any, uh, all adults were, almost 99% of adults were in Communist Party. And uh, those party had meetings every month, and every month they were kind of lying to each other, you know, and those who were lying the best were promoted to organize uh, party so it's uh, it's very deeply seated. Like, for example, well, you don't have to explain to everybody that stealing is bad, right? Like, this is one of testaments, uh, one of the oldest uh, books on earth. But at the same time, like, corruption was everywhere. Like, everywhere. You could... So that there was uh, like, uh, yeah, from birth to death, it was all run by corruption. By, cor- by corruption, I Alex, mean, you know, even as Alex, a kid, yes. Alex, wasn't it nicely summed up in Brezhnev times? They pretend to pay us, and we pretend to work. And that, Correct. unfortunately, that unfortunately is a stepping stone that you pretend to do this, that, and the other, and they still harness your life. Correct. And that was my point where I was kind of making a bridge because even as a kid, I was going and my dad was sending me to a, uh, to a store to buy bread, right? And the cost of bread was, what, three copics. But there was no such a coin of three copics. I had to give her five, and she never returned change, you know? And then... Uh, basically, she was pocketing the difference on me, a kid. And my dad was saying, well, where is the change? Well, she didn't give me. Then I ended up saying, you know what? Don't ask me to, you know, argue with this adult people about the change due. Because if you want, you can go and ask yourself for a change. I can't. Like, don't, don't put me in that spot because she never gives me a change. She just says, and you know what? Like everybody else would understand, oh, she, she also needs to leave. That's how she was living, because she was earning, what, 20 rubles? That's not enough for anything. Um, but that two copics for each loaf of bread she was selling would allow her to, I don't know, go and buy a car, which my parents, who were engineers, would never afford. So, but, but the bridges, you know, if you listen now to the, uh, like a few days ago, the... Uh, Patriarch, their patriarch, he openly preaches that Russia never invaded any country. We are only protecting our borders. And every single freaking Russian knows that Russia invaded Ukraine. They all know that. But from patriarch to every single one down the ladder understands that Russia invades Ukraine, but they say Russia is just protecting its borders. So they are posting their borders whenever they feel like they could put it, I don't know, somewhere in Brazil, like one of districts in Sao Paulo. I have no idea where next they would put their borders. Or every war, when they invade, will be called, we are protecting our borders. And those borders can be anywhere. And actually, you know what, it was officially announced by Putin at some point, because... Uh, You know that all those things are footed, right? And one of them, Putin asks uh, one little girl, this was recently, no, not um, maybe a month before he invaded Ukraine. He asks a little girl, six or seven years old girl, so where are the Russian borders? And she said somewhere, you know, she mentioned some river or something. And that was his answer, wrong. Russia has no borders. No, no, he said Russia borders are limitless. Uh, can I, like, I'm from Russia, I can actually, like, uh, when I speak. Yeah, yeah sure. Andrew, you're up next anyway, so uh, go but, ahead. But they live, they grow up, they live, they go to school, and they die in this double reality where one thing, and everybody knows that Russia is fighting in Ukraine, ask them to go and fight, Many of them will say, no, no, I didn't really mean that. They will now go and try to bribe 
at somebody in commissariat not to go to fight if there is, you know, if they are called to. But um, on TV, and if TV asks them, some of them will lie, but some of them really believe that, you know, it. what does it matter anyway for them, you know? It's, until it hurts them, they won't... Uh, I don't think they will, because they are. This is how they grow, live, and die. Alex, I understand this. I appreciate this. But can we shift gears a little bit? We're yet again falling into the trap of the narrative of everything is Russia, Russia, Russia. No, everything which matters is how to defeat Russia. We can talk about how to deal with Russia's containment at a later stage in more detail. At the moment, my preference. I'm sorry. Uh, this is very personal. I know. But, and I really do not care, I have to say this, I could not care less for criticism. We focus on information awareness, we do this all the time, and we answer every question, of course, but some questions merit more than others. If we constantly look at, into the Russian soul and its deficiencies and it, into its history, other than what Craig had kindly already stated, that there's a long-standing track record of suppression, colonialism, genocide, atrocities and eradication of societies going all the way from the foundation of the Duchy of Moscow. If people want to read up on it, we can recommend you where to find it. You can find a lot of tweets. And fortunately, our fantastic audience has gone through this already in quite some detail. If the DMs and the signal messages and the likes we receive are uh, a good indication, we have a significantly well-educated, extremely capable, and by now, historically well-up-to-date audience. So let's not waste much more time on Russia for this time being. Let's focus on what happens in Ukraine and how we can support Ukraine to win this dang thing. Next question, please. Spring. No, Andre was next. Andre, go ahead. Yeah, you know, I'm from, Ra- or from Russia. Sorry for my English. I, I may sound like uh, not so good. Uh, I want to like add something about 2014, you know, like at that time, uh, if we don't like give Crimea, yeah, like this situation, like Donetsk and Lugansk, their propaganda. Alrighty, gentle people, the space is populating nicely. As you have experienced, we yet we had yet another one of those beautiful Twitter crashes. Fortunately, it occurred right at the appropriate moment because uh, Walter was already preparing to get online with the water report main space uh, at the top of the hour. So we're doing this a few minutes earlier. And the good thing is that we have a fantastic audience, very well versed and used to having these little Twitter glitches. So if you give us a minute or so without further ado and music, uh, we can move forward. Domen, you have the word. Do I? Can we have Sean speak instead? I think I've said enough over the past few hours. But if not, Axel, um, do you want to briefly touch on Steinmeier and Zelensky, etc., etc., what's going on there? Not at the moment. We can do this in about 20 minutes. I need to do a few things in the meantime. Sounds I good. Was ready to do, I was ready to do things as of 6 o'clock, and as you can see, it's a little earlier for that. But uh, then I shall gladly address the matter of the former chief of staff of Mr. Schroeder. Okay, in that case, I will hang about for the next 20 minutes uh, doing other stuff, uh, such as talking to Sean. Uh, is it Sean? Yeah, Sean, uh, go ahead with whatever you have to say. Hi, thank you. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're good. It's just your background sounds a bit off. Yeah, sorry. I'm at work right now, but um, I don't... Um, hello? Yeah, yeah, carry on. Huh. He dropped. Okay, I think he might be having some connection issues. Um, Sean, if you want to re-request, feel free to do so. In the meantime, spring. Which was just what we were discussing on the other space. I'm, I found marvel- marvelous the, the stories of Alex. I think he one day he has to write them down because his experience is amazing. But what I wanted to say is about the press and uh, something that Axel touched it's that we are in the free countries where I think we have three possibilities. Don't watch the channel or don't read that specially news or newspaper. The second one is um, try to write about it, contesting the idea. And the third one is making a joke about how silly that is. 
And I think that is the main thing that is going on around here where I live. We don't watch or we just joke about it. It's all. Yeah, exactly. And um, actually, Spring, while you're here, uh, can you fill us in on that CNN Portugal reporter that's apparently embedded with the Russians in Mariupol or was at some point embedded with the Russians in Mariupol? What are the Portuguese people saying about that? Oh, we are mainly joking because it was came some pictures public and it was like a book of Minecraft in the, and, and on, behind it it was a flag of Ukraine and so in the in the social media people is distracting themselves to change the the cover of the book like to some erotic stories and things like that completely insane uh, covers of books to joke with him because um People is completely insane about what he's telling from there, and um, the people also discovered that he was actually a communist uh, member of the the communist party. So no one is actually paying attention to him. Is mainly a joke all over the country. It's um, People can be annoyed, um, outrageous by what he's saying, but it's mainly a public joke. As we had uh, previously uh, another one that was Alexander Kreir, also in that was in Sick Notices, that is another channel that was so pro-Russian that he ended up being expelled by the, uh, or it doesn't appear any longer in the channel, and now he has his own YouTube channel because no one wants to hear him. It's mainly that it's uh, we end up solving the situation by not watching or complaining a lot, and or otherwise we start joking about those kind of people. It's a way that we have to behave and solve the things without taking it too seriously or getting in the raw. Hi, Spring. Um, and yeah, you're quite right. There's no point in paying these idiots too much attention. Uh, sorry for the language. Uh, at this point, uh, I'd like to remind you to do a few things. If you could please share and retweet the space, you can click the big blue button in the bottom right corner of your screen. And that would help us greatly with getting, uh, you know, the population of the space back to the levels it deserves to be. Uh, we've lost about half the people in the sudden transition, sudden unplanned transition. You know, but it is what it is. All right. Uh, second thing I want to bring up is, oh my, I thought I had just put it up there. Have I removed it by accident? Um, oh, nope, that's because the tweet's gone. Never mind. Today, it's 7 p.m. New York time. That is midnight London, 1 a.m. Berlin, 2 a.m. Kiev. We have a special event going on on this very space. Literally this very space that you're in, because I don't think we're going to have any more crashes. Oh, now I've jinxed it, haven't I? Um, where we're going to host a number of distinguished military experts uh, on the topic of Ukraine. And if you have any questions on that, uh, look for the tweets on the Water Report. Uh, on the Water Report, um, what is this? Page, profile, timeline. Here we go. It's now going to be up in the nest as well. Uh, and you can add questions up ahead of time for each of our specific military experts uh, that are going to be talking in uh, the replies to, that, to, to the relevant tweets. Because then we can have uh, you know an even better information, uh, sorry, an even better dis discussion, uh, an even better informed discussion, and specifically uh, we get to ask all of the questions that you want to be asking. Uh, now, especially because we're going to have so many people, I think it'd be a good idea uh, if you add as many questions under there as possible, because then we can you know add many questions together and collate them and make sure that all of these various aspects are covered. Because uh, I don't think we'll have time for all that many uh, questions from the floor at the time. Uh, I know that there's a number of people, a number, a number of our moderators who are, you know, actively collating the questions and making sure that all of the relevant angles can be covered as expeditiously as possible. Obviously, being conscious of our guests' time. Um, and the third thing I want to do is just alert you very quickly to Maria Aid. All of you who are regular listeners to here have heard this many times before, but if you'd like to help Ukraine, if you'd like to help Ukraine right now, even though there aren't many specific news from the front today thus far, although some things are definitely brewing around this human Kharkiv, uh, we just don't have any results yet um, that, that we know of, uh, you, can, you can help Ukraine by helping with Maria Aid. MiraAid.org listed up in the title of the space, as per usual. 
if you would like to come up and speak, please request the mic, clicking the button in the bottom left corner of your screen. If you don't do that, we don't want we don't know that you want to say anything. And if we don't know you want to say anything, we can't call of you and ask you to say it, can we? Uh, so please go ahead and do that. Uh, whatever you think you have to discuss, to ask, to comment on that's to do with Ukraine, uh, all of those things are welcome, as long as, as some of our co-hosts like to say, you're not an asshole and you're not parroting Russian propaganda points. How are there no requests yet? Oh, Domin, it's just to tell you that I DM you the, um, the, oh, yes, the Twitter about that journalist. Yeah, he he seems wonderful, doesn't he? Uh, but yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> exactly. he's, he's pretty much a, a fifth column, I guess. All right, we're getting Ben and Mystical Cold up. Fantastic. Uh, Mystical Cold, go ahead. Uh, I was curious, uh, I couldn't talk earlier, but uh, I was curious from the, the, the recent uh, scent of the Panzer Halbitza from uh, Germany and the M777 um, from America and all that. I was wondering how many, how much artillery do you think the Ukrainians need? Is it hundreds of units, uh, thousands? Because I don't think seven is going to make a, a big dent in the Ukrainian need for artillery. I was curious what uh, you guys had any uh, projections of what they might need. Actually, if you're around, uh, go ahead. If not, I'll say as many as possible is good. Uh, Russians have you know hundreds of artillery pieces hanging about. Yes, seven on its own isn't that much. I think you're referring to the Germ- the seven German Panzer Haubitz 2000 that are supposedly now being sent by Germany. Well, in June, probably, actually, because they need to be fixed up first. Um, however, you know, the US sent 90 M777 howitzers. Uh, Canada and Australia sent another 10 combined. Uh, the Dutch are sending some Panzer Haubitz. The, the French um, delayed a shipment of Caesar howitzers to Morocco and are sending those to Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? There, there's lots of these bit by bit by bit, um, this mishmash, let's say, of, of different types of artillery pieces that are being sent to Ukraine from various countries um, in the broader Western alliance. And between all of that, that does make a difference. Uh, note also that Canada is sending either 1,000 or 2,000 Excalibur shells uh, the what are they? GPS guided, laser guided, whatever they are, precision munitions. Let's say extra precision artillery munitions, and that basically means as many as many as they send. Ninety ninety five percent of those are going to be guaranteed high value hits. Right, that is incredibly valuable. That is way beyond whatever the Russians have. Russians have a lot of artillery shells. They have a lot of dumb artillery shells with not excellent guns firing them. It's good for area fire. Apparently, I'm being told by people who know this a lot better than I do. But what Ukrainians are getting now is much more precise artillery, being able to do a lot more damage per round because of it, right? Uh, And that is going to make a difference. As to how many Ukrainians need, God knows, as far as I care, send them all they have, send them all you can, Uh, send them everything that's left in Western stocks. They're not doing much good there anyway. Uh, Might as well be used to... um, you know, pound some Russians out of Ukraine. Yeah, and then uh, do we know how many uh, uh, leopards? Uh, I forget. Not what's what's that? Gepard. 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 Cheetah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering uh, how many are they getting of those? Because that'd be uh, good to help protect the S three hundred by making some complex air defense uh, uh, vicinity region. I believe fifty were being discussed uh, about a week ago. Uh, they're not. They're not only good for air defenses again. And just for clarification, for anyone who's not aware, so Gepard is a Leopard One tank chassis, tracks, body, etc., with a turret that's very different. It has basically two auto cannons on it, two flak cannons, two uh, uh, anti-aircraft cannons. This is quite an old design. It's a it's a fifty plus year old design, I think. But apparently those cannons are also pretty good against lighter armored vehicles, like uh, armored fighting vehicles and infantry fighting vehicles, etc. Armored personnel carriers. carriers. Uh, so that's that's pretty good and pretty notable as well. I'm also being reminded by Brit, it's not just about the more precise artillery, it's also about the counter-battery radars uh, that are being shipped to Ukraine as well. And that basically enables Ukrainians to then hit those uh, Russian artillery batteries much more effectively with much greater precision and actually to know where they are, where they're, where they're supposed to be hitting them. Uh, and that is very valuable as well, right? Obviously, Ukrainians have been managing to get lots of uh, Russian tanks and APCs out of commission with javelins and, and laws and the like. However, at the same time, it's been kind of difficult for them to hit 
Russian artillery pieces because either they didn't have the sufficiently precise weaponry to do it or they couldn't identify the location of those Russian artillery pieces. Right? Tanks get a lot closer to you uh, than artillery does. So you just can't take it up with the javelin artillery generally. However, with this counter battery capacities, both radars and more precise artillery for the Ukrainian side, uh, it will be a lot easier to uh, to dispense with Russian artillery. I hope that kind of covers it, Mr. Kukult. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so you said it uses the Leopard 1 uh, chassis. So I yeah. guess that, I guess, and then I think uh, Axel alluded that they might be able to uh, uh, sneak in some uh, Leopard 1A7s, I believe is the most modern version. Maybe. Uh, I would say, Mr. Kukult, hang about for about 10 minutes so that, so that Axel manages to come back and finishes whatever he was working on. And uh, and then I'm sure he'll be happy to talk to you about it. In the meantime, we're going to go to uh, Ben and then Movie Buff. Hi, Movie Buff. Um, and then you can, we can return to you, Mr. Kukult, and you can talk to Axel. Thank you, Damon. Um, good day to you. And uh, I, I had a I, I just wanted to steer the conversation a bit away from uh, Pew Pew uh, and to ask whether, well, first of all, whether Ukraine and the other post-Soviet um, countries, except Russia, considered themselves as uh, liberated from colonialism and as a result, how it uh, impacted the way the discourse is framed, for instance, in the... Um, in the history classes at school or in the in the media, and by extension, um, several European countries, be it well Portugal, since uh, we're talking about it, France, of course, uh, England, um, are former imperial countries. And I was wondering if there was a way for those former imperial countries to learn about um, how good history and, and good thinking is done from the experience of the Ukrainian and of the post-Soviet uh, countries. I hope it, I'm not being too unclear. No, I, I think it's right, Ben. Um, what, if you're about, would you want to comment on this? I mean, I'd, I'd rather you comment on this than I do, that's for sure. But what I would note is I think the conception is probably a bit different. The usual you know, colonial discourse that, it, that, that happens in other places uh, is it, probably framed a little bit differently. Um, th- there's a... It's it's you know framing it as occupation versus a colony per se. I think I think there's a there's a slight linguistic difference perhaps in that and the semantic difference as well. Uh, so if you look at the Baltic countries, for example, they were independent countries during the interbellum, and then they were literally occupied by Stalin, right? And then they were kept as hostages within the Soviet Union. Um, I think the, the narrative is going to be framed somewhat differently. The way it's discussed is going to be somewhat different. Uh, compared to how it's discussed in, uh, you know, other say post-colonial countries, uh, whether uh, some, it can be thought of differently, say, or, or in a better way, or more sensible way in Western countries, 